Central here on Sportsnet 650 and as always brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you and as always we are coming to you live this time on the road. It is a Kintech studio. Satyar Shah with Bic Nazar, Dan, Dan Riccio away this week but it is Satin Bic and we have a lot to get to this week and as always get in touch with us on the Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. We have a lot of ground to cover. Our weekly insider Frank Valley is going to join us coming up next segment and well a lot of things to get to when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks and rumors and trades and signings what may or may not happen we'll delve into that with Frank Valley. Don Taylor as always is going to join us at 5.30 and it is game day as well. Now Bick, we may as well launch right into it. So much ground to cover, Here so little thought. time. Here we thought we were just going to play a game against the Arizona Coyotes on Saturday. Mm-mm. Not so much. I mean, okay, let's start with the biggest story that's percolated around the Vancouver Canucks the past 48 hours, and that is the one Brock Besser. And by now, everybody knows what happened. We don't need to go over uh, what led us to Brock Besser being such a big topic of discussion. But it's clear that both sides, the Canucks and Brock Besser, are open to a change. The question, though, Bick, is what can that change look like and when can that change happen? Yeah, and and the thing that you know signals all this is was he going to take a step this season? We talked about this offseason, the contract that they gave him, Canucks, the way Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, the hand that they were dealt from the previous management of figuring out this contract, it was a difficult hand. And you had to at least break even. I don't know yeah. if they, the Canucks won that negotiation. I just don't think they definitely lost it. And so they probably just broke even. It's a short-term deal. It's another show-me deal for Brock Besser, which is probably not what he wanted. But nevertheless, uh, that's what it looks like. And say, hey, this is a reasonable investment if you progress in your career. We'll gladly honor this and continue to play this out. And now we're 20-some-odd games into the season. Brock is a dash 13. The points have actually been there for Brock. It's a lot of assists, uh, but the goals have not come. And it leads to the incident on Saturday where it was a normal scratch and it wasn't a scratch. Like, this is going to have a resolution at some point. Yes. It's just a matter of... What is the sensible thing to do, and when is the sensible thing to to execute it? The when is the big question, because it also comes down to when's the best time for you to get the best value possible. And we'll delve through that, but I'll mention what I've kind of heard through all this, which we've talked about, but also what I've kind of heard heading into the show here tonight. But the person who's covered this really well, as always, is Elliot Friedman. And as always, he's covered a lot of ground about the Vancouver Canucks on the 32 Thoughts podcast alongside Jeff Merrick. And the topic of Brock Besser was broached, of course, by Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. And here is what Elliot Friedman had to say about the Brock Besser situation with the Vancouver Canucks. It's not going to be an easy trade for the Canucks to make. There's not a lot of teams that have the cap room to do it. And the Canucks may have to understand that if they want to make the move, they might not get the best return. But I think they do understand that. To me, there's actually a bigger story here. And as I think about it 24 hours later, and that is that this might be the start of a dismantling. Hmm. And what I think they're going to do is they're going to say, we have to create cap room. We have to change our mix. 
And if that means that if we trade Besser and maybe our return isn't great, we still at least create the cap room. And I think that's a possibility here. That is Elliot Friedman on Brock Besser and how the team might explore. And we talked about this. If you're looking to make a deal right now, your best case is try to get an expiring contract and something else. So you get the money off your books by next season and you get something of value alongside of it. But what's the operative word he just said there? Best case. Well, I was going to say right now. Right now, yes. Right now, in best case scenario, right now. It's an ex- expiring, so you get all the money off your books, and you get something else of value back in return. The question is, what is that something else? Now, Elliot mentions the Canucks may be willing to take a hit in terms of taking that trade, and I don't disagree. I think they're open to it. But the question is, how much of a hit? Because I don't believe, Bick, they're ready to dump Brock Besser and just take nothing back. For instance, uh, today Rick Dollywall mentioned the Calgary Flames might have some interest in Brock Besser. You know what would be a really easy swap? Brock Besser for Milan Lucic. Mm -hmm. One for one, you get the money off your books, you wash your hands of it, $5.25 million for um, Lucic on the books. Which expires this year. Expires at the end of the season. So your money's off the books, right? That's a trade you can look at. And I haven't, I mean, I, I can't speak for this. I don't think, however, the Canucks want to do something like that right now. I think they want to get something of value because I don't think they went from signing him in the offseason to a three-year deal to saying 25 games in, we'll take nothing back in return. We could have just got done that in the offseason if we wanted to. I think they still want something of value. The question is, what is that something of value? In the offseason, they may get more than what they're looking at now. How much of a hit are they willing to take? Because I don't think they're willing to just take just get the money off the books completely, or get a sixth mm-hmm. or seventh rounder back or whatever it is, I think they would want to get something tangible back in return one way or another if they're making the trade today. On Besser, I think I don't think they're ready to just dump him right now. Because I think it's important not to mix together. Like, What's the right thing to do for your roster construction, and what's available to you right now, which is why I hang up on that word, right now. And we'll talk to Frank Cervelli coming up in about 20 minutes here. Yeah. And I, I do want to ask Frank, like, hey, we're getting close to the Christmas freeze. Traditionally, like, 10 days before the Christmas freeze, teams aren't even going to really make trades. So there's really a eight-day window here to try to even make trades. And how do things look like after uh, January 1st into yeah. the new year? And also, just the, 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 the contract situation, as you mentioned, just the way the, the landscape of finances are across the league right now. You have to do something like this of what you're talking about, which I think is silly. I understand it's like, oh, just dump the money in and you're free. But it doesn't really fit in the mold of what you can do because they don't need to move Brock Besser right now. You maybe do it just to remedy the the scenario that's been created. Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, need to, if you're willing to be patient, it's frustrating. But if you're willing to be patient... You can wait this out because Brock Besser's not expiring. No, I mean you retain the asset no matter what. And, and right now it, it's a, at a low. Is it worth waiting? And I don't mean wait till next year. Just talking to February, March. How do the finances of the league look different now that teams can accrue more cap space? Mm-hmm. What is available to you now as far as money that's loosened up is different than it looks on March 1st, March 3rd, February 19th, whatever it is, teams are going to accrue more cap space through injuries, through whatever means they're going to get money off the brick, whatever it could be. 
there's just going to be more money available. So if you're going to do a money trade sat, I just don't know what the urgency is to do it today. Well, there isn't. And the other part of that, too, is what is the motivation for teams to do it as well? I mean, it's one thing for the cap space to open itself up. The other thing is how motivated are you all of a sudden to go and get that player? And the third thing as well is what type of bargaining position are the Canucks in? Right now, they're leveraged. Mm-hmm. The Canucks are leveraged. Everyone knows they're capped out. Everyone knows they're up against it. Everyone knows they have to trade guys if they want to. They can't sign Kuzmenko and Horvat long-term together, right? Like Everybody knows they have to shed long-term money here for them to do something. What does that mean? That means the rest of the league is leveraging them. They, have no, they, they don't have a lot of bargaining power. You know how you get yourself out of that position? Clearing a little bit of money. But it's not easy to do with Brock Besser. You know what your best way to get value for Brock Besser is? Be patient and trade Bo Horvat. Because once you you're patient and you wait for that opportunity, and once you trade Horvat, and then you don't have you never you don't have that thing hanging over you about you're trying to sign him and you need the cap space. Now you're not leveraged anymore, and all of a sudden when you're not leveraged, teams can't hold that against you. So if somebody really wants Besser, they have to start playing ball with you. So your leverage changes. So you have to wait a little bit, I think, here in terms of Brock Besser, and and I don't think the team, the overarching point, is willing to punt on that asset right now. Like. I, I've been looking around trying to find a better trade that makes sense right now with available cap I mean, you space. You said Milan Lucic. Well, I, mean, I said, <laughs> okay, the Lucic one. I just and I hey, maybe people are roasting you like, no, don't do it. No, Which, no. Again, I, I think it illuminates the point of what's available to you right now, yes. rather than like what's the smart thing to do for the sake of your franchise. Exactly. There's benefits to getting cap space, but it's a ludicrous idea. Seth. Exactly. Well, and the point being like. Calgary's a team that might be interested. And maybe Calgary looks at it and says, no, we don't want to do that because we, we want to do something else with the money beyond this. We want you to take Mangiapane off our hands or something. You know, mm-hmm. Whatever. You don't know. Or maybe they say Toffoli. They may want to get rid of money. Whatever it is, right? Like, we, we don't know what Calgary's looking at here. I think best case for Vancouver is if they're trying to clear money is taking expiring back in return. So if you go beyond that, look, let's say – of the available cap space, no teams have cap space. Four teams have cap space. Two of them you can you couldn't even trade Besser to. One is Arizona, mm-hmm. who have no interest. The other one is Anaheim, would have zero interest. Again, we've detailed this. Chicago doesn't have any interest. We've said this on the post game show before. Rough numbers, but somewhere in the range, seventy to eighty million dollars of available cap space that isn't spent across the league. Sixty-one million of that comes from Detroit, Ottawa, Chicago. Anaheim, Buffalo, Arizona. Yeah. So over 80% of the league is owned by – is a, over 80% of the available cap space across the league is owned by six teams. Yeah. And those are the six teams that are above $3 million. Yeah. So even if you retained money, full money on Brock Besser – you're still only talking about six teams, seven teams that can take them on. And, and that's it's, it's it's a short number. It is, so it's not realistic. The only team I can look at is Buffalo. I can I can look at Buffalo and say it makes some level of sense for them to be interested in Brock Besser. But with all the cap space they have, are they giving you a second round pick for him? Probably not. They probably want you to take something off their hands still. If you take Casey Middlestad off their hands, who's no longer really a prospect, he's making two point five million this year, two point five million next season, and he's a really flawed, skilled player. Like, he's a third liner you have to shelter. Like, he's not really an asset anymore. He's not the piece. He's just money you have to take off their hands. Still RFA at the end of the deal. If you take that off their hands for Brock Besser, next year he's also 2.5 against the books. Do they give you a second-round pick, maybe? Is that your best-case scenario? Would they even do that? 
I mean, we, we talked about this the other day, too, as far as uh, trade comparables that we've seen, and, and we mentioned, like, it was Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blay and a pick. Second-round pick. Second-round pick. Ricard Raquel got traded. Again, these are lesser cap hits, but Ricard Raquel for Dominic Simone and uh, Zach Aston Reese and a second-round pick. Yeah. Josh Anderson and Max Domi were traded for each other, right? Like, that, that to me is more in the vein of what you want to accomplish rather than what's probably available to you right now. That's the difference. And and the other thing, like I know it's been mentioned too, it's like, hey, we've seen some trades happen in the offseason. Like those teams were over the cap yes, and had to jettison the players off of their roster. The Vancouver Canucks right now are operating for next season, because obviously the season is a season, and they're operating under the cap for next season. They obviously want to make improvements. They obviously want to make changes. But this is why I go to need to and have to. They don't have to. No. Sorry, they don't need to do it. They probably want to do it. Yes, they want to do it, but they don't have to do it. And I still and I still think they want to get some value if they're making a better trade. We'll see if they actually can get that and then they hold on to it. But at the moment, we'll see, that's probably what, what that's my understanding of the situation right now. On Bull Horvat, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick also covered a lot of ground on Bull Horvat. Here's the latest on Horvat potentially signing a contract in Vancouver, or whether it's more likely he ends up getting traded. You're big on the the Horvat not getting re-signed train. I don't like dealing in absolutes. I don't. I've seen too many things change, but I definitely agree with you that it's trending that way. Look, the deals are getting higher and higher. You go Cairo, you go Thomas, you go Rupe Hints. This was a team that was trying to get it done, I don't know, in the high sixes, low sevens last summer. It's out of that stratosphere. And because of what happened with JT Miller, where they signed him out of nowhere at the end of the summer, I refuse to say it's 100% not going to happen, but it's definitely trending in the direction of it's not going to happen. That's Elliot Friedman from the 32 Thoughts podcast with Jeff Merrick. And the reason why you hear Elliot say it's more likely he gets traded than signed is what we just went through with the Besser situation. If you're still trying to get some value there, it's hard for you to do that and hold on to Bull Horvat because you're leveraged right now. And unless you clear cap space, it's hard for you to sign Bull Horvat long-term. So that's where they find themselves. You have the money to sign him, but if you still want to hold on to Kuzmenko as well, it complicates everything for you. I just feel like any team that's calling about Brock Besser is going to say, hey, what about Bull Horvat? Because you're more urgent on that. Yes. Like, that's the bigger precarious issue for you yes. than it is Brock Besser. Yes. So that has to kind of get solved here. And unless you're finding a taker for a guy like Garland and you clear the money that way, it's hard for you to sign Bo. And unless that happens, I think that's why we fi- we keep hearing, okay, it's more likely Bo does get traded. I've, I've said all along, yes, it's more likely he gets traded, but there's still a greater than zero chance, greater than, ins- greater than an insignificant mm-hmm. chance they still sign him because they're so desired to sign him. They want to clear money, though. But how do you clear that money? And that's a big challenge the Canucks have. And as long as Bo is here, they're leveraged. And if if you decide to, say, punt on a lot of things and make a bunch of trades, well, the best thing to do is trade Bo, maximize your return. You have flexibility now. Teams can't leverage you. Now, all of a sudden, that's one piece gone. Besser moves up higher on the queue all of a sudden. Of, of available scoring forwards teams might be looking at. It's on the it, to-do list. It changes things for yeah. everything. You know, it, it improves your leverage and improves your situation trade-wise if you let that domino fall first. The question is, when will that happen, a trade for Bo? I still don't think we're seeing anything trade-wise until the New Year pick. Yeah. It, it, 
and I know that's a really boring answer because people are frustrated right now and they say, "Well, this isn't acceptable." And I, you know, yeah, it's coming into the holiday season. I want to watch games and I want to be excited about you know the, the next direction of the franchise. Financial realities are what they are, right? There's yeah. there's only so much money available and there's only so many situations too. And I think we get caught up to in like like what the right value is for a trade and the the timing of a trade because the value proposition aspect could be real simple to be honest of just like finding out what the model is for a, for a Bull Horvat trade and let's just go go back to the New York Rangers here right from last year JT Miller and all that sort of stuff I, I'm just gonna throw I'm not reporting this and any, I'm just throwing yeah. out names here okay what was the the, the rumored thing we, we we heard a first Heedle and Nils Longfist, okay? Right. Nils Longfist is gone, so let's just replace that name. Just just give me a, a New York Rangers prospect. You're like Zach hey, Jones. Okay. I don't think that's gonna happen, but nevertheless, we're just we're just putting Hypothetical, names in here. Hypothetical, sure. If you're New York Rangers right now, you're outside the playoff spot, are you gonna give up an unprotected first today? Like the trade the the, the trade can make sense. And you can say, Hey, we want to give you a, a, a lottery protected first. If you're Vancouver, you're going to say, well, no, we don't want to do that. And right now, the Rangers are two points out of a playoff spot, having played 26 games. The value of the trade might make sense, but the risk assessment for what New York is trying to do is totally different if they're two points out come March 3rd. Because then they can say, hey, we're only two points out, 20 games to go, maybe we can make up this gap. But if you give this up now, it's like, well, we're teetering right now, we don't really know what we are. Let's say Shesterkin gets injured, next thing you know... There's 56 more games to go... Anything can happen in that 56 Urgency games. doesn't exist yet for those teams yet to give you the package you're looking and for. And we could be talking about the exact same trade on March 3rd, and it's still a first Zach Jones and Filipino. And suddenly you go, well, we only got 20 games to go, and now we're one or two point spots. We really want to make a push. It's the exact same trade. But what makes sense on December 5th does not necessarily make sense on March 3rd, and what makes sense on March 3rd does not necessarily make sense on December 5th. It all comes down to the timelines. So how far can this go? We're talking about guys like Bo, of course, and Brock Besser. Can it go even deeper than that? And that's something that Elliot and Jeff also talked about. There's a couple of things we want to play because it is reporting on, or at least at least some speculation that is intriguing and interesting, on um, Thatcher Demko and also on Luke Shen. I want to play both these clips before we go to break, but the first one here is on Thatcher Demko. The other one, I think, when he's healthy is going to be Demko because I just think that Jim Rutherford is the kind of guy who will say, if we're starting over a little bit here, does it make sense to keep Demko when there's teams out there that need goalies? So the big story from Saturday is Besser, but I think the bigger story might be what this just means for the Canucks. So that's on Thatcher Demko, and I think... That's interesting and also somewhat related to what you would do with a guy like Luke Shen. Because if you go into the route of we're looking to trade Demko, there's no reason for you to keep Luke Shen. Even if you're looking for leadership, next, it makes no sense. You may as well punt on that guy. So here's what Friedman had to say on the Luke Shen situation. I think the one guy who's going to be really interesting, because I think he's a guy who's got a lot of interest around him, is Luke Shen. I agree with that. And I think there's a real sense of there's a point to keeping Shen, and there's a real sense of I think there's going to be interest in Shen. He's a right-hand shot. He's won before. He's a veteran. He's a good team player. He's physical. He knows what he's good at. I think Shen's going to be a real interesting test case for them. 
That's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on Thatcher Demko and Luke Shen. They're both intertwined because you're not hold- if you're holding on to one, you're holding on to the other most likely. And if you're not holding one, you're probably trading both. It makes no sense. Because, again, if you're getting rid of Demko, that means you're setting the reset button. Sure, but the Demko thing, like, that's the nuclear option. And that, honestly, and, and Friedman's not reporting is going to happen, but I know a lot of people are talking about this as well. I don't think the team is there. No. Uh, my opinion is they're not there where they're looking to trade Demko and they're looking to set the reset button. We talked about the to-do list, right? That starts with Bo Horvat because of the contract yes. situation. That's not me saying, oh, they got to do this. It's his... Like, you have to come to a decision on that by March 3rd. Yes. Demko is like, that's like ninth on the to-do list. Of all the mechanisms you can pull to open up cap space and do all these things, where's your franchise timeline and all this sort of stuff, that is down the list. There's so many other things that you have to clear out before then, and if you can't do those all, all those other things, then maybe you get to that one. But that, to me, is the nuclear option, where if you do that one, then all bets are off on everything that can happen here. Yeah. But you got to go through the process of everything else before you even entertain the idea of something like that. For me. Yeah, and my guess is that's kind of where it's at in terms of the pecking order. So I'm not expecting anything on it. On Luke Shen, like like Elliot mentioned, it's very interesting. Because it wouldn't surprise me in the least, Bic, the organization offers him a, an extension. I don't know, like relatively soon, but... Like I wouldn't be surprised. The next relatively big move the Canucks make is an announcement that Luke Shen signed an extension. Like it wouldn't shock me if you between now and the next couple months. Would that be we a missed opportunity? I think so. I think the best. I think Luke Shen's the best candidate for you to be like, buddy. Tr- like, like w- the very rare moment. Yes. Of the trade and resign. Absolutely, you can tell him we're going to send you to a contender. Take another run at it. This off season, we'll reconnect. And we'll give you the best offer. Like if somebody is like, we'll we'll be like, you know, can hunt, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. You can get that point across. To me, that's the best thing you can do. But I think the possibility of him signing an extension does exist. I think the number though would have to be very team friendly. Which, just to outline this. I'm okay with it. It's just, is this a missed opportunity? Is what we're talking about here? Yes. Yes. Like I, I do agree, it's a missed opportunity if you don't. Sign him and assign, trade him and sign him back in the offseason. But that's my, my, my other thing. I was looking at some contract comparables. Just what a team friendly would look like, a team friendly deal would look like, or what a, a UFA deal would look like. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit as well. We'll talk to Frank, Frank Cervelli first. Yeah, Frank's coming up, and we'll also hit the c- contract comparables for Luke Shen. That and more as Canuck Central rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canuck Central, brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. It is Satir Shah with Bic Nazar. We have Frank Valley coming up in a matter of moments. And Bic teased contract comparables for Luke Shen. We will get to those after we talk to Frank Valley. So stay tuned to our discussion with Frank. And after that, we will delve into the contract comparables for Luke Shen. And a lot of reaction on our text inbox, 650-650. And some are obviously saying, yes, it is time to trade everybody, pretty much. Others saying, um, you know, uh, this is getting out of control, uh, like Jeff in East Hill, uh, about how what's next, you're trading Pedersen as well. So 
I don't think the Canucks are going to go that far. Like, I think it's you got to make a decision on Bo. The Maybe cut is going to be trade. deep. It's just a question of how deep it goes. Yes, and I and I don't think they're at that stage where they're going to you know pretty much decide to trade everybody. Like, I don't think they're there. I think they're still kind of. I think they're still undergoing the plan, and I know people scoff at the notion they have a plan, but the plan of, of retooling this, making a few major moves, of course, but not tearing, tearing it down to just Pedersen and Hughes and trying to build it up from that. I think they still want to hold on to Demko and want to hold on to some key players and hope that a two or three significant moves can put them in the right direction. I still think that, Bick, is their ultimate path and goal here. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I know it's tough to see that sometimes, uh, but you and I have talked about it. It's like if, if you just kind of follow the actions, yeah. even if you may not like some of the actions, you just try to link, okay, what is the idea here? Like Mikheyev and signing Miller into that offseason lends itself to say, hey, that, that they believe it can be a quick turnaround if you are aggressive in this stretch of what your building phase looks like. Well, to delve into the Vancouver Canucks when it comes to trade, signings, and what is next, it is time for our Monday Insider every week. Frank Sarah Valley from Daily Faceoff, who always joins us. And Frank, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. How was your weekend? All right, well, we'll, we'll reconnect with Frank coming up in a second. It's just a bit of an issue, but... Um, Obviously, on the Vancouver Canucks is going to be the big thing. And I did want to see how his weekend's been because interesting times in Philly with the Eagles. We'll, we'll get to some uh, some slight NFL talk a bit, a bit talk a bit later on. But, hey, uh, we have Frank ready to go. Frank, how's it going, man? How was your weekend? Uh, it was pretty good. Made a little bit better today. As Speaking of Philly sports, Trey Turner, massive deal. Phillies now have a billion dollars committed to six players, which is kind of insane. I'm sorry, how much? <laughs> They have a billion, one billion dollars wow. committed to six players. It's it's amazing. The the money thrown around in baseball is ridiculous. It's it's absolutely yeah, absurd. I, I actually tweeted this the other day, and I got a ton of reaction from people. Most of it was like "you're a moron," which is, <laughs> I guess, pretty standard for social media. But it was when you take a look at some of the deals that have been handed out. Jacob Degrom, one hundred and eighty-five million dollars for five years. No player in NHL history has ever earned $150 million in his entire career, and that's for a guy that's only made 36 starts over the last three seasons. It's absurd. It's insane. I mean, Verlander signed a two-year contract worth $86 million or whatever Kershaw got $20 million today, and it's like, man, we're, we're rubbing sticks together, and Major League Baseball is playing with a Zippo. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's insane. Hey, yeah, Brock Besser, $6 million seems like uh, too big of a deal to move around nowadays in the National Hockey League. But, yeah, Frank, we may as well delve into all the Vancouver stuff. And as far as Vancouver stuff goes, has there been a team you've talked about more the last, say, year and a half than the Vancouver Canucks league-wide? Uh, probably not, and that includes all the other hits that I do on <laughs> The Sportsnet sister stations, whether it's in Calgary or Toronto or whether it's on my own show and podcast, like it's been an, an, it's almost like a soap opera. It really, it really is. Like there's always something going on. There's always some kind of drama. And even this season, it sort of feels like they've stepped in one thing after the other and not even just on the ice. So on Brock, and, and obviously Saturday was wild in its own way, and it, it, the story continues to evolve, and just looking at what the future could be, you know, what could be a timeline on this, on, on this resolution? Because I do look at this and say, you know, the Christmas trade freeze is going to come up here pretty soon, and 
you know, there's probably like a 10-day window to get it in before then because GMs don't like to trade in mid to late December anyways. Um, what could be a timeline on, on some of these moves, whether it's here in Vancouver or even just across the league, um, if, if things could open up? Honestly, I really spent a long time today, Bick, working on the spot that the Canucks are in with Brock Besser. And the, the sort of most logical timeline that I can play out in talking to a couple other GMs to understand what the market might be like, both to get their perception of, of where Brock Besser fits in, to take a look at some historical deals that have gone down in, in the last you know year or so, and also to understand, you know, some needs from certain teams that I, I think the most logical timeline is honestly the offseason. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they've been given permission, the Besser camp has, to talk to other teams, I think indicates really kind of some of the frustration that Canucks have run into on their own end in terms of trying to deal him, um, at least in perusing that market and trying to find some equal value or what they think is equal value in return. And I think the really tough part is, you know, asking some managers today where they think Brock Besser fits in cap wise, at least they're thinking somewhere around between five and a half and $5.75 million a year based on what he brings to the table. Mm -hmm. So that would seem to indicate at least to me that he's, a little more than a million dollars overpaid at this exact moment in time based on his current play. And so when you you package that up and you consider a lot of the other teams that have salary cap issues, the two years of term that are remaining on his deal, and then some of the other contracts or excuse me, some of the other trades that went down recently, um, a couple people pointed to to Bjorkstrand and, and what that brought back for Seattle um, there's been a couple other trades that people pointed to to say like, hey, the return probably isn't nearly as good as people in Vancouver might expect or be thinking. Well, and, and I think that's the big key here. You mentioned Vancouver trying to get value still. And Vancouver maybe may get to a point, maybe it is ahead of the deadline or maybe this offseason, where they say, hey, we're willing to punt on a player and take nothing back just to get the money off, off, off our books. But I still think there's a desire to get something tangible back because they only have a few players that could have tangible value. The most obvious one is Bull, which we'll get to. But Brock is a more valuable piece in theory than a Connor Garland that you're probably just looking to get rid of at this point. And we all know where it's at with guys like Pearson and Myers. So if you're trying to get value, you got to be patient. I it's going to be the, really hard, that. Well, and that's the big like, thing. Like, what do you, you gotta, consider value? Like, I well, said, I, give, me, give it to me straight. Like, what do you think Brock Besser really brings back in a return? And they said somewhere in between a second and third round pick. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think a second actually would be seen as value at this point. I think if you're able to get a second round pick for Brock and just get the money off your books, I think that would be value. I don't think anybody's giving you that right now, though, in the, during the season. Right. And that's why I think it's probably closer to a third or, or more than that. Um, because you know the Canucks are in a spot where they definitely don't want to retain. That kind of defeats the purpose of doing it. That Yeah it becomes a really difficult trade for the Canucks to pull off and get something back in return that they feel like they can really, you know, hang their hat on. And that the value, as you mentioned, might really be in being one of those contracts that you can just move one of the bigger ones to gain that flexibility that we've heard Jim Rutherford speak so much about. So the, 
does that just emphasize like the the sequencing that has to happen here in Vancouver? It, it's as much as we're talking about Brock or Garland or Myers or something like that. You know, the, those have term on them. Uh, as far as the sequencing of moves, does the Horvat one have to come first before anything? Just because that one has a deadline at March third. To be honest, just to answer the the other premise in your question, I don't think Tyler Myers is going anywhere. I, I could be wrong. I, 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 I was just adding uh, another name to the list. I, I'm I'm with you there. I was just adding because you know fans do want to see him moved or have a resolution there. Yeah, honestly, I think the big sticking point in that is going to be the no trade clause that Tyler Myers has. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a difficult one to work around. Um, but in terms of timing, like, do other things need to happen first? Like. I kind of think that's why when you add all these things up and you take a look at, you know, if you're sitting in, in Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin's office and you're looking at your salary cap picture on the board, you, you know, you, you keep coming back to, to dealing Bo Horvat almost every single time, I think, if you're really trying to really shake things up. Well, and, and I think that's where as much as the team is still very much open to signing bow and you know that's still something that's on the table but they have to clear money to do so it's still the the most likely scenario that we're looking at but again it comes down to timelines and if you're trying to maximize a bull horvat return unless somebody jumps to queue and gives you everything you want is that also i think you're waiting yeah you're still waiting right like probably until feb i i honestly think you're waiting until the very last day possible to get as much as you can for Mm -hmm. for bow horvat whether it involves um, bidding people up uh, in terms of waiting for that market to percolate a bit, whether that involves uh, another team that's trying to build for the future and wants to jump free agency beforehand. Um, that's another, you know, probably entirely different option with a not, probably a non-playoff team. Is there one team out there that's looking for Bo Horvat um as a rental like what does that market look like i'd imagine whoever's trading for him is probably going to try and re-sign him based on probably what the cost is going to be and and where his production has been um i I did want to point out one quick news note on on the bo horvat front um there was a rumor going around in the last few days over the weekend um, about the idea of the Canucks circling back and re-engaging the Horvat camp and presenting a new offer. Um, I don't have any confirmation as to whether that happened or not. I, full transparency, I was chasing it. But my understanding, based on the way things stand right now, is that there's nothing new to report in the sense that I don't, you know, I, I don't believe any progress has been made on that front. Just on the idea of what you talked about there as far as, you know, when he could be at his most valuable as well as the last minute. And I, I guess it just kind of illustrates the point that, like, if you wait till March 3rd, the deadline, and you retain half, just because of the f- how finances work around the league right now, everyone else can accrue cap space while you pay more of that contract out. Is that why that becomes valuable, or are we just talking about, hey, just because it's the deadline? That, that's part of it for sure. Teams are trying to accumulate cap space. Um, and also the more you pay out, the less is remaining. So when you're talking about, you know, potentially being in a spot to either um, potentially retain a little bit to, mm-hmm. to juice the offer or if another team is way up against the window uh, or the ceiling, excuse me, and, and is in a spot where they'd like to run it through two teams um, in order to chop that contract into a quarter, um, those those things all matter. So 
Um, I'd, I'd imagine that if, if you're in the Canucks shoes, like you're not in any position right now, unless someone is absolutely knocking your door down. Um, and given how hot he's been, it'd have to be a pretty significant, you know, return in order to probably forego all that and pull the trigger right now. Although you could make the argument that you want to strike at the exact moment when he's playing so well that, you know, you don't want to go through a 20-game stretch where he scores four goals. Well, and, you know, as far as other, you know, potential trade targets the Vancouver Canucks have, I, I think the the more re- most realistic one who has a second most value probably is Luke Shen, you know, as a right-hand defenseman mm-hmm. and guys like that go for at least a mid-round pick, and, you know, that's easy to get. But I'm not sh- I'm not sure that trading him is a priority. I think there's still a, a desire to keep him as well. What do you make of what they might end up doing with Luke Shen. Yeah, I think they're in a spot where um, I'd imagine going back to last year, I I believe teams had called um, to check in and and see if he's available. I think part of it is, you know, they've seen him play with Quinn. They've seen him, you know, sort of steady that, you know, him down a little bit and, and slow the game down for him. He has the experience, of course, winning the two Stanley Cups in, in Tampa and has been through a lot of different things, and is sort of the perfect chameleon to add to your group in the sense that um, he's been in just about every role possible that you could be in, from the high, you know, high pick and, and prize prospect to you know big name defenseman on the blue line in a major market to being on waivers and, and trying to find your game again, which um, you guys in Vancouver have chronicled so well. Um, but with that cap hit, with the experience, and also you know, just having insurance is such a big part of going on a, a Stanley Cup playoff run. You talk about, um, you know, the old adage of you can never have too many defensemen, like add him to the mix on a good team and you're going to be in a good spot if you ever need to call on him. So I think that's been part of it. But I also think the Canucks are like, well, if we wanted to re-sign this guy, he's also not going to cost us a ton and, and we're going to need players um, playing at, you know, a million dollars and under for the next number of years based on our cap situation. Every dollar matters if we want to really get flexible. So he might just be a decent enough piece to keep and say, rather than getting uh, whatever the number round pick it is, fourth or whatever, whatever, pick a number, it's more valuable to the Canucks to have that player in their lineup moving forward. And I'd probably argue, like, that's sort of the cutoff is, like, you know, if you could get something better for that for for Luke Shen, then maybe you pull the trigger. But if you really find that he has value and you like the culture component, then by all means, go ahead and re-sign him. Well, a couple of years ago, I mean, even last year, we were talking so much about how cash was problematic around the league because of the pandemic, a lot of owners losing money. This year, because of the cap, cash is even so so much more important. Guys making no money like Luke Shen, how much of players who are who are decent players making under two million, making a million or less, how much are are their values inflated, especially if those guys are capable in a year like this around the deadline? Man, I'm actually looking through my notes. I was talking about this with someone the other day. Um, okay, oh, here it is. Um, the amount of players in the NHL making less than a million dollars a year is up 22% year over year. There's a stat for you. Um, it, it speaks to the value of, um, 
you know, those types of players that can contribute to your team, how tight money has been in the frozen cap world. And really more to the point, just in a pure macroeconomics scale in the NHL, how much the NHL's middle class has been squeezed. Like you don't see many of those two and a half, two, seven, five, three, five guys anymore on a team. Look at the Canucks cap. It's a bunch of guys making five or more and then a bunch of guys making a million or less. And that's basically where it is, is the middle class has gotten eaten alive during the pandemic in the NHL. How much will the cap increase uh, affect all of that as well? And, and when, when, when will we find like an idea of when it, what it could be? It's going to be a while because usually we get Bic, the projection from the NHL, the GM's meetings in March. And even then, the league, for whatever reason, seems to overinflate their projection. And a lot of times, I'd say it's 50-50 whether that comes through or not. And so it's probably going to be until just before the draft in June where we really get a final sense with the, the final um, GM's meetings that occur uh, in draft week uh, in Nashville that we'll really actually finally know what the projection comes in at uh, and what it, the true number is. And, Vic, you know what's really interesting um, when you consider the cap perspective for next season is the idea that it's all dependent, of course, on whether or not this escrow debt is being repaid in full to owners. And the way the MOU is structured is that um, the, the debt has to be retired in full. Essentially, no money can be left to be paid or else the cap only goes up $1 million. And I wonder depending on how close they get, since they were dealing with a $1.1 billion debt at its biggest balloon stage, if it gets down to 20, I'm just picking out a number, 25 million, 50 million, 75 million, whatever number it is, will some NHL owners begin to put pressure on the commissioner's office to come up with some sort of solution or arrangement to retire that debt or settle it so that the cap can finally increase because you know there's a number of owners out there that are saying my team has been absolutely hamstrung by the way that this has been set up we need to get the cap moving again in the right direction and i think that's a real possibility depending on what that projection looks like it is fascinating and the numbers while they matter so much in these discussions as well he is frank zero valley daily face-off dfo rundown hockey podcast the latest episode full of rumors and especially with Brock Besser in his situation. Frank, always a pleasure, man, getting you on the show, and uh, we'll see whatever what else Canucks talk we have next week when you're on again. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find something. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> have a good week. Yeah, you got it. That is Frank Saravalli, Daily Face-Off. It is Satin Bick on Canucks Central. Very interesting there. On, That's fascinating. On the money stuff in the league. If owners are going to forgive the last little portion of the debt, just to be like, hey, we can't do anything. You're limiting our chances to generate revenue by making the playoffs if we don't do this. Well, and that's I know it's also a sign of how much more money is coming in. Yeah, that you're looking at it and saying, if we expedite this, hey, that money we're giving up pales in comparison to how much we can earn throughout this sure. year and what this can allow yeah. us to do. And why not use the opportunity? But also, you know, and you look at the expansion teams. How much Seattle has impacted this coming mm-hmm. in as well? I mean, I know you know, Friedman America have really documented how Seattle and Vegas are two of the highest earning organizations now and how much that matters to the league. And just look at the overall revenues coming in from the TV side, digital side of stuff too. And, you know, we're, we're entering a new landscape. So if, if owners are willing to do that, it does change where a team like the Canucks 
how they're looking at it and saying, hey, we're really capped out right now, but if that jump is happening, yeah, we got to pay our other guys a bit more too. All that comes into the equation. But we find a way through this a bit easier as opposed to where we could have been if that doesn't happen. And it goes to the point then of the urgency of a, a move you want to make. Well, if the financial landscape of the, of the league can change and the owners themselves are the impetus of wanting to lift the, the ceiling of what the salary cap looks like, well, all these conversations on a granular level, we're talking about like Brock Besser and $6 million. Well, if there's another 4 or $5 million injected into the salary cap, that completely changes the picture of the money you can move around the league. And suddenly, what we're talking about, a bad trade return value now, the picture's completely different in the offseason to what Frank was saying there. The offseason probably makes the most sense for Brock Besser. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to Luke Shen, we mentioned some contract comparables. We'll hit those on the other side and get into more of your response as well for, to our Dunbar Lumber text in the box, 650-650. This is Canuck Central on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.